Let's say together a prayer as we prepare to hear the word. Holy Spirit, come again. As long ago you inspired, astonished, and confused the people. Come to us now to fill our ears with the sound of your breath. Fill our eyes with the brilliance of your presence in each other. And fill our hearts with your good word. Amen. A reading from Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 14. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. He said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? I answered, Oh Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. And as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked and there were sinews on them and Flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. Then he said to me, Mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost and we are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O oh, my people. And I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O oh, my people. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And I will place you on your own soil. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church family. I trust that you are well on this uh, little cloudy day, but we are grateful for each day that is given us. Before I share with you from God's Word, I would like to um, just acknowledge this morning and pass on our greetings, love, prayers, and support to the Mabudi family. 
this past week, our dear brother in Christ, Brother Peter Rotimi Mabudi, passed away. And so I invite you as the church family that I know you are to pray for Bola and the kids in this time of loss. Would you join me again in prayer as we think about them and so many in our world who are experiencing the loss of loved ones today? And would you also turn your hearts towards the hope that comes from God's Word on a day that celebrates the life that is given to us by His Spirit? Let us pray. Father, this morning we thank You for Your Word. Your Word on Pentecost Sunday reminds us that You are the God of restoration and hope. That even there where we see the end of life, the power of Your Spirit enables restoration, hence resurrection. We believe in a God who has overcome Satan's sin and death itself. And because of the sacrifice and the life of Christ, we do not only have an example to follow, we have a hope in which we trust. So we commit to you today, our, our friends, our family. We pray for Bola and her sons and daughter and grandchildren. We ask, dear God, that you would indeed be their comfort and their strength. We ask that the peace that only you can give would be upon their household, upon each and every one of them. We thank you for our dear brother who has run the race faithfully. We believe today in the words that says that there is no end to those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And we believe that you welcome your son into your presence today. Father, we pray today that we as the church would have open hearts and ears to hear the words that comes from Scripture. More importantly, I ask that as your servant, in all my own frailties and inabilities, that I would stand before you as one who trusts you so far more than I trust my own understanding. But I do ask that through the thoughts that you have given me, we may hear the hope of God for such a time as this. May the words that you've given Ezekiel so many years ago fall afresh and anew upon a community of faith who desires to be animated by the power of your Holy Spirit. May we believe, contrary to all that we may see, that God is able to do immeasurably more than we dare to think or even ask. And may we open our hearts and our minds to the power of your spirit today. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Without the spirit, there is no church. Without the gift of the spirit, there is no witness. Perhaps it's even true to say, without the spirit, there is no hope. Today on this day called Pentecost Sunday, we stand along Christians throughout the world, and we acknowledge and thank God that he did not leave us as orphans, as ones without his presence and indeed without hope, but that he has given us his very spirit to fill us so that we may be those in whom life dwells. Thanks be to God. The posture we hold on such a day and the words we speak on Pentecost Sunday is of humble yet daring conviction. We ask, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit.
fall afresh upon your church, upon your people. Renew our faith and strengthen our hope that we may be who you have called us to be. Perhaps it surprises some, but maybe not all of us, that the Holy Spirit does not only show up in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit is operative throughout Scripture. It is the breath of God that is breathed life into his own creation, and it is the breath of God, the Spirit of God, that manifests itself in such powerful and dynamic ways to the prophet Ezekiel and the people of God. But the people of God, the people of Judah, are beyond the end of hope. I thought about how to say that in a way that grabs our attention, but it's kind of like, We started to become despairing, but now we've reached the end of such despair. Not in the good sense, but in the sense of, I don't know if anything good will happen after this. In fact, in Ezekiel that we just read, uh, verse 11, this is how the people talk about themselves. They say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. At the time of Ezekiel's vision, uh, Israel had been split into two kingdoms following the death of Solomon, the northern kingdom, or the ten tribes of Israel, and the southern kingdom, the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin. Both kingdoms struggled to remain faithful to God. But at the time of Ezekiel's vision, the northern kingdom was all but destroyed. Israel was all but destroyed. And now the kingdom of Judah was taken into exile by a pagan king, and they are in despair. Their hopelessness and the sense of despair is is worth contemplating, perhaps in a season like this for us. And in order to kind of enter in, I want to to just help us to understand where this despair comes from. You see, the, the people called Judah had this misplaced confidence that because they were the people of God, that God had chosen them, and so God would always protect them and ensure that they are taken care of. In fact, we get a sense when we read uh, Ezekiel that that there's a sense of, of, of pride that the people have that they can pretty much live however they want because they have the assurance that they are God's people. Uh, While they remember what God said to them at Sinai, they didn't remember all of what he said because God's promise and commitment to Judah, to Israel, to the people of God was also contingent upon them doing their part. They too had obligations which they had to meet. And they've relinquished those obligations. They haven't stayed faithful. But they also have this sense of of confidence that derives from their understanding that God has given them this land 
Jerusalem is theirs, and their presence there was by God's will and design. For those of us who are paying attention to international news, we know that this matter of land and identity still plays itself out in violent ways in this very moment, and we pray by the grace of God for wisdom and reconciliation and peace and healing in both sides of this issue today. But the people had the sense that, that this is our land. We are God's people. Therefore, we are good to go. We can live just about as, in any way that we please. After all, the God of Judah is the God of the ancestor David, who was promised that his dynasty would last in Jerusalem forever. God would surely not allow the city in which their temple stood to be destroyed. But then comes Babylon. And Babylon shakes the very certainty, the very confidence that the people had. Ezekiel in the the opening chapters is repeatedly warning the people that there will come a day of reckoning if you continue to live in disobedience, in disregard to who God has called you to be. But the people were idolatrous. Idols and pagan rituals makes it into the Jerusalem temple. They did not care for God's laws or observe his ways. And even their leaders were oppressors, perpetrators of violence and bloodshed. The crisis that the people bring upon themselves culminates in the brightest and the best of Judah being taken from Jerusalem. The temple raised, the city destroyed, and the people's hopes crushed in their own words one commentator offers they they are saying we are as good as dead (laughs) we are without any hope our future seems as barren as our present but God (laughs) you see at, at the crisis moment when all seems lost God remains faithful And his faithfulness is demonstrated through a man named Ezekiel, whose name means God strengthens. God gives this man a vision. And this man speaks a word to a people at a time of despair, a prophetic word that assures them that despite the circumstance, despite where they find themselves, and I want to pause and just say this, disobedience has consequences for Israel and for Judah. It was exile. When we live contrary to the ways of God, we cannot expect that we would escape the consequences of such disobedience obedience, but thanks be to God for his faithfulness that outlasts the disobedience of his people and reveals itself to them through his commitment to them through the prophet's words. And so the prophet is the one that God calls to speak a word to a people in a time where good words were hard to believe. In a time where hope seems Unbelievable. Uh, you know, I was thinking about how I would preach this, and I, and I don't want to be careful that we just don't kind of just put ourselves, you know, we're, we're, we're Judah or, you know, we, we're Israel. But I, I do think there's something to be said for when failure has set in. Perhaps even in our individual lives, Uh, when we have disobeyed, when we have walked away from the ways in which we had lived, that 
that for some of us, those places, when we get there, seems to be the most despairing places. We, we wonder, is there a God that still cares? Is God's grace still sufficient? Has God abandoned us? Has, has, has he walked away? Because we clearly have messed up. I wonder if there's somebody listening to me today that, that needs to hear this on a very personal level. That no matter how despairing life has become or how despairing the world seems in this very moment of crisis, that there is a God who remains able to do that which only he can. And on the day of Pentecost, we see the manifestation of the God of deliverance and resurrection and restoration through a vision given to a prophet. The Spirit of God, this word in the Old Testament, Ruhah, that shows up as spirit and breath and wind, is used 10 times in 14 verses. You don't have to be a biblical scholar to figure out that if a word is used in various iterations so condensely in such a short portion of Scripture, you best pay attention to what God is saying to us. The hope that God brings comes to Ezekiel by God's very own Spirit. The Spirit is credited, stay with me for a second, with transporting Ezekiel. Presumably, through an ecstatic dream or revelation, maybe a trance-like state, to a valley where battles have been lost in which death has come to many. Let's not kid ourselves. That when we think about the Spirit of God, we don't want the Spirit of God to lead us to valleys of death. In fact, you cannot read Ezekiel, but think about the psalmist. In Psalm 23 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall not fear evil. It seems that the Spirit does this. In biblical uh, Old Testament history, it seems to do the same with Jesus, leads him into the dry places, the wilderness. I, I don't know if, if, if I even really have a point as much as an observation that, that people led by the Spirit may find themselves looking at things that they would rather not look at. They'd rather not see. You see, it's, 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 it's kind of interesting, isn't it, that God wants to use this people that seems to consistently fail him for his purposes, and he uses Ezekiel in a way so as to say, this is what you've brought upon yourselves. This is what Death looks like when you live contrary to my calling and my purpose. This is what happens not only to individuals, but to all people when you live disregarding my calling. Ezekiel sees a horrific sight. A valley filled with bones, many bones that were very dry. The vastness of the image and the dryness of the bones emphasizes that death had set in. It captures so adequately the hopelessness of the people in this season. And, 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 and not only does the Spirit give Ezekiel this, this vision, but in the vision, the Spirit leads him all around the bones to take it all in. What an image 
What a vision. What a sight. And just as Ezekiel is taking this all in, I I don't know. We we were not given much information about exactly what Ezekiel is feeling. And and even in his response to God, we're not sure exactly whether he is confident or afraid. But if it was me, I would be overwhelmed. I would be overwhelmed at at a vision that that says there, there, there is no hope. Death has won. And just as I, I, I lean into the text, God asks this question that just reverberates through my entire being as I become accustomed to seeing the end of life. Can these bones live? <laughs> The spirit that allows Ezekiel to dream a dream, to see a vision of death, asks whether death can be overcome and whether life is possible. And get this, Ezekiel's response is is fairly ambiguous. He says, God, only you know. We don't know if if Ezekiel is saying something like this, uh, God, only you know. As kind of his witness of confidence in God. There's no indication that Ezekiel was wavering in what God can do. But, but with such an incredibly devastating image, I wonder if, if hearing the cries of the people, the hopelessness of the people, the, the, the reality of the expanse of the destruction, Israel destroyed, Judah disobedient, whether Ezekiel just kind of just stood there and said, I don't know. I don't know if any hope is here. I don't know if any life is possible. And so God instructs this prophet to speak to dead bones. (laughs) You know, um, prophets... You know, I know that there is a movement in certain parts of our world towards being prophets, but man, prophets had a hard task. Prophets had to, had to speak words at times that, that probably didn't make sense to the people or, more significantly, the people didn't want to hear. But here God instructs Ezekiel to speak to the bones. And we see bones coming together, sinews being attached, flesh being put on, and eventually the bones are animated and resurrected to life by the very breath of God himself. You see, this whole valley of bones, this whole vision is about a God who is always desired to make himself known in the world through a particular people belonging to him. The division, the separation of Israel into two tribes, their disobedience that compounded their suffering was not the hope and plan for God. And when God gives Ezekiel this vision, he is giving him a vision of restoration that is so hard to believe if you were the people of Judah living under foreign power. The vision is ultimately one of 
the people being put back together. In fact, in the chapter that follows, Ezekiel holds two pieces of wood that represents Israel and Judah as a symbolic enactment of what God intends to do for the people. But as the biblical story will unfold, it would not be for hundreds of years until we see the fulfillment of Ezekiel's prophecy through the Pentecost of the church. I think that in this season of dryness, I, I, I don't know, this is probably not going to be edifying, it certainly isn't theological, but I feel led to tell you about a story that experience of my own life. I, when I first moved here, I, I had no idea. Two things shocked me. First is that I couldn't breathe normally when I landed in Calgary in January when it was minus 40. Uh, that was the first thing. The second thing that happened to me is my skin seemed to dry up fast at an alarming rate. In fact, in the first, uh, in the first few months of being here, I called home. <laughs> and after I shed some tears because I felt like I didn't know why I came to minus 40. I asked that they would send me some, now you're going to laugh. They got to send me some oil of Olay body moisturizer. And I remember the first day, the first day, <laughs> that that box, I think it was like 10 or 12, <laughs> all the way from South Africa, as if they didn't have it here, was sent to me, and I probably lathered up half a bottle of that on my dry skin. <laughs> I remember the soothing feeling of just this dryness, the familiarity of home, the smell that reminded me of something. And I, and I started to feel a sense of comfort in a very extraordinary way. I didn't even think I would tell you this story. <laughs> but we're not talking about dry skin here. We're talking about despair. Despair that can only be overcome by the power of God's Spirit. Hope that can only be restored when God himself breathes his breath upon Israel. On the day of Pentecost, Ezekiel's prophecy is fulfilled. And God breathes into 12 representatives of the people of God. The spirit he promised to put in them in Ezekiel. And they become not only united, but they become instruments of God's proclamation in the world. The spirit that comes and breathes life into dead bones is the spirit that shows up on Pentecost and fills individuals with such authority and power that they proclaim the hope of God in a world that is desperate for it, a world that is dry, a world in which we see death in, in a global scale, a world that feels like valleys right now. The word of God spoken to Ezekiel, fulfilled in Pentecost, is the same word Word spoken today to Skyview and to our world that God has promised and made his promise sure that he will fill his people with his spirit and they will do what he has called them to do. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. The promise made to the people 
I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you on your soil so that you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. God does what he said he would do. So what do we do with this? On this day, how do we respond as those who proclaim that we are too a people of the Spirit? We assume the posture of the disciples in hope-filled anticipation. We dare to believe that God will do it again. That he will pour out his Spirit again to fill us, to make us one, to make us his witnesses. Before I end, what strikes me in Ezekiel's vision is that when the bones come together with the sinews and the flesh, the absence of breath means that there was still no life. Perhaps it's fair to say that bodies without the Spirit do not have life, and the church, the body of Christ, without His Spirit, does not have life. Even though I didn't read Acts chapter 2, I want to end by just giving you three descriptors of what it looks like when the body is filled with the Spirit. As they wait and as the Holy Spirit comes and descends upon the disciples, they are filled with the power of His Holy Spirit and they are able to prophesy to stand in line with Ezekiel and to speak to the hope of Jesus Christ. One of the signs of the Spirit that is animating the life of the people of God, the church, is that there is a unity that leads to witness. It's interesting to me that when you look at Acts chapter 2, that, that God does not give them all the the, 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 the same language, but he gives them the same spirit. The spirit that empowers them to speak the word in different tongues, witnessing to different people so that all may hear the hope of God. I believe more and more that the church God is calling forth today is not a church of uniformity, but a church of unity through which God empowers each and every one of us to do that which he has called the church to do, which is to be proclaimers of his hope, his love, his grace, and his mercy unto all people. We will live in the spirit of Pentecost when we are one in our witness. We will live in the spirit of fulfillment of Ezekiel's promise when the spirit fills our life and our witness reaches beyond ourselves into every avenue, every nook and cranny of our culture and our society. We know that the spirit animates the church to this end in the book of Acts that we would be his witness. Not only is unity and witness an outcome of the spirit resurrected and restored community, 
But those who have experienced the Spirit, they wait in anticipation for more of God. I have said this before, and maybe I'll close by saying it again. We dare not have agendas and programs that outruns the Spirit. Could it be that waiting is one of the most essential things the church is called to do? Because it is when we wait and God fills that what comes forth through us is of Him. Church, there is many things that we can pursue as a community of faith. And over the next several weeks and months, we will be preaching about the calling of God upon us as a community of faith to give full expression to the grace that has been given us. But we begin on Pentecost Sunday with this very clear challenge that without the Spirit of God upon the believing community, we may do good work, but we desire God's work. As I close this morning, I invite you to think upon these things. The absence of unity, not just in our world, but in the church. Could God be inviting us to join hands with other denominations? Could God be inviting us to a hospitality that extends to brothers and sisters in different parts of our world? And that anticipates the movement of His Spirit through us all. Perhaps today God is inviting you to think upon the, the crisis in the Middle East or in other parts of our world like Colombia. Maybe God is inviting the church to, to look at life as it presents itself in the chaos and in the death as Ezekiel looked at the bones and to, 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 to be honest with the fact that the world is not the way that God intended and maybe as we, we think a little bit beyond ourselves to the state of our world, we are drawn into this deep, deep desire to see a new Pentecost, a new and fresh outpouring of the Spirit upon the church across the world. Finally, there may be some today that the word dry captures your spirit and your heart. You are desperate. You are longing. You are crying out for life. For such a person today, the words of Judah are the words of truth. I feel 
like God has given up. I feel like the consequences of my sin have overwhelmed me. I do not know where my hope comes from. This morning, I believe the Word of God points us to our hope. For He has not left us as orphans. That the same Spirit that the prophet prophesies and that animates the life of the early church is the same Spirit that now is present here amongst us and within us. And so will you pray with me? Holy God, thank you for sending your Spirit. The Spirit of the risen Christ who has overcome Satan's sin and death. Help us to be like the early disciples, praying patiently as we wait for your guidance and your power. Fill our hearts and our minds with your gifts of faith, of hope, of love. May our conversations with people of every language and culture around us witness to the grace, the hospitality, and the mercy that we have received from you. We dedicate ourselves to your good purpose in this world. And through our church, Lord, I pray that the power of your Spirit would go forth. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. May the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ And the hope that comes through him be with us all until we meet again. Amen.